Episode 194, everybody, with two men who come from very different worlds, different backgrounds, but who have the same aspirations in life. Be successful, have an impact, make friends, foster relationships, etc. A phenomenal conversation with these two, wishing them all the best in all their, their endeavors here in Cleveland and having an impact uh, on the entire city from a real estate perspective. We had a, a phenomenal chat, talked a lot of sports, and tied it all into their business. Without further ado, please welcome the two and only Zach Barris and Ed Reynolds. The Optimal Life. Uh, welcome, boys. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you finally. Hey, Bobby Allman can now be happy that you're on this podcast. Yeah, it's so, about time. Yeah, Bobby's got a great nickname too. You got to call him Tubef. What is that? What does that mean? T-U-B-F. It just stands. He's the ultimate Browns fan because he travels every. Travels the like the ultimate all, Browns fan. Yeah, so his that's nickname has been Tubef for like ten years. That's so funny. He goes to so many games. Does he go to every single home game? Every I go to every single home game. He goes to a lot of he goes to every single home game, but he goes to like almost all the road games. He too. goes to the road games too. Oh, he's nuts. Jeez. He's nuts. So you're like two Biff Jr. since you you don't <laughs> go to every single <laughs> I, I'm bad, but I'm not I'm not two Biff bad. Oh man. Bo- Bobby literally can't function on a Monday if the Browns lose. What's the best game you've ever been to in your entire Browns life? game or just overall? Browns game. Oh. The best Browns game I was ever at, I want to say 2015 Browns at Ravens, was an unbelievable game. Um, we won in overtime. We beat the Ravens. And that was that was just a fun game. That was Barnage's butt catch. Where he oh, caught the ball yes. off of his butt. He kicked it up in the air and then caught it like literally on his butt. I with remember one that. That was, that was by far the best Browns road game I've ever been to. Um, I've been to some great games, though. I mean, there haven't been a ton of winners, you know. Right. But over the past, I would say couple years that when we beat I, I would say all the best wins seem to always be against the Ravens or the Steelers because those are the ones that mean the most yeah at and least for me do you when was were, were you going to, were you too young how old were you when the Browns left I was eight years old when they left they left at the end of the 95 season I was going to games with my parents though in the 93 94 so you season. remember municipal a little bit yeah so our kid. so when I would sit there we were usually we were second deck 40-yard line, you know, sitting in those seats. I still have my old ticket stubs and everything. So oh, shit. I'd probably go to two games a year when I was a kid. I mean, honest to God, now or then, I don't know how a six- or seven, eight-year-old kid, you'd, you'd even want to take him to a Browns game. Right. Well, you wouldn't. I mean, even back then, though, I, I remember. Oh, the porta It used to be way it worse. Was, well, it was gross. And, and I remember I would. I remember one time I was, I must have been about the same age, maybe 10 years old, and I'm walking through with my uncle or whoever took me to the game or my cousins. I don't remember exactly. And these guys are fist fighting and kick, head kicking each other. And I mean, you see what happens. Did you see the um, tailgate fight for the first yes, home game? I, yes. That was hilarious. That was absurd. Ed, weren't you right over there when that happened? Yeah. I know a couple of people that I witnessed think, that. I think that was an A one. I think I was an E two. <laughs> Actually, move, move that a little. You got a lot. Bring that a little further away from you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, think I walked right. Over, I like walked right by it. I mean, people were out there since 10 p.m. the night before. Though. Oh like, my god. Don't you love? They say there's no uh, tailgating allowed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no drinking. It's, it's not enforced. They don't enforce anything. It's, how can you, you can. if you really have all those people well, out there? I mean, what why are you going to do? Why even make the rule though? Why make the rule? Why, why make all these rules yeah, that we have to cover, live in at this freaking? They're covering society. their ass. Yeah, that's what it is. Cover your ass. You said it. If they don't follow, what are you going to do about it? But you know, usually this is how crazy Browns fans are. Usually, you see all these fights in the stadiums now with like, you know. Uh, Steelers versus Bengals fans or 49ers versus Seahawks, whatever. The Browns fans just fight each other. 
Oh, they, yeah, shit. you always have that. You got Browns fans kicking each other's asses at games. I mean, it's all the time. I mean, it's it's notorious. You're walking down the concourse, and it just you know those concourses are really thin, especially you know being at games last year when there were only six to twelve thousand people at the games. You kind of forget how you know how tight it was on the concourse, and this year being back at the games, we've had two home games so far, and it's like okay, like really the bathroom lines are, you know, centered in the food line. So you make one wrong move. You accidentally touch someone. Yep. They've had a little too much. It's And every it's five rough. every five people that you walk by, their eyes are glazed over. I mean, they've been fucking, they've been going hard, like you said, either the night before yeah. or starting early in the morning. By the time 2 o'clock comes, one thirty, you know, first, second quarter, they're gone. Man. I mean, they're gone. I, I, I personally, I can't, I don't start tailgating at 7. I don't like drinking at 7 a.m. I start my days usually at 8.39. We go down to the oh, harbor. I thought, I thought you were going to say 6.30. No, we go down to Rock and Dock. <laughs> I go down to Rock and Dock. I usually That's start around 8.39. That's the best. I just did that for the home so, opener. It was so much better. Yeah, I was over on Slyman's boat. Were you on Fishman's or? I was Andy's? at Carson. Yeah, I was okay. At Andy's, yeah. So yeah, I was. I stopped over at Fishman's, but we were out tailgated the first couple game on Slyman's boat. It's gotta be. I mean, it's it's amazing. Fantastic. You get the boat. You're right there. You don't have to walk a mile to the stadium. You're right there. It's a little more exclusive. It's a it's a cool experience. Yeah, and everybody from Shoreby's down there, so it's just yeah, like it's, it's like, like a little a, family like reunion Sunday. down there. Yeah, it's like yeah. a summer Sunday yeah. almost. It's kind of nice. When did you? How long were you in the league for, Ed? Four years. And you yeah. did you were you on like what's your did you get drafted? So I got drafted fifth round to uh, the Eagles in 2014. Um, spent the majority of the first year on, on practice squad. Uh, became active. Started over two years. Started like six games for them. Oh safety. really? Yeah. And then did you play with Bradley Fletcher? Uh, I did. That was one of my clients as well. The corner? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Out of Iowa. Yeah. yeah. Great dude. He was a, one of the nicest guys in the dude, world, man. Amazing, amazing. He was one of the nicest guys. He had a uh, – he was good. He was – he started, like, pretty much from his first or second season. Yeah. He was um, – I think he was in the 2010 draft. No, no, let me think about this. He was in the 20, 2009 draft, I think. I think. And he's, I mean, super long. Super long. Could use, use his leverage. Um, really good player. I will say my rookie year being there with him, uh, our corners were Kerry Williams. Uh, a lot of people know him from playing down in Baltimore. Right. If you're a Browns mm-hmm. fans. And, uh, and Fletcher. And, I mean, you had two corners super long. We felt really good about our defense that year. Um and he had he just has some tough outings like you know like it's just that those games where you can't find it I think Des Bryant threw the X up on him like three times one game he had a tough game against Dallas and he had a, a really tough game against I think Green Bay if I, I recall think, correctly yeah and Aaron Rodgers went it was, he went at him the whole game and the entire just game we, and yeah. I kind of put that on the coaches at, at at some point where if you see a guy that's struggling like that give him some help yeah you know shade a safety over that way change up the coverage a little bit we didn't. Continue to play man, but think, why? Why? Think, why did they Jordy do that? Nelson, I think Jordy Nelson had like two hundred yards that game. Yeah, it's like why? Why? But what? What happens? Why wouldn't the coach? Adjustments are all part of the game. What are they thinking when they're not making adjustments in that situation? Uh, ego, like, oh, my game plan is going to work. Just give it time. It's always it always comes back to the ego with it everything. Really, everything. In life. Everything. I think it's really a lot about ego. That's why the teams that win a lot in the NFL are the ones that make those adjustments. That can make so those adjustments true. between drives. Um, between quarters, between halves. That's interesting. And the ones that you don't see any kind of adjustment. I mean, part of it is you you you're trying to 
it's, it's a fine line for a coach to say, okay, look, I'm going to change the entire game plan because our one, this one player out of 11 is getting his ass kicked. But at the same time, you don't want to take that guy's all that guy's confidence away by saying, all right, look, I'm going to roll you down cover two. You're only getting safety help. It's going to minimize what we can do on defense, but, hey, it's going to protect you. That's a lot on a, on a guy's confidence as well, especially at corner. Um, but but how about what about the guy's confidence next week going into the next week? I mean, or the next weeks or months or maybe for the rest of their career? Exactly. No, something he, like that. He happens. didn't. He didn't recover after that. No, I don't think he did. He didn't. Like I think we released him. I don't think we did it in during that season. It wasn't but we during, did it, but yeah. we did it after that year. And I mean, I'm pretty sure it was a big year for him. He should have been. <clears throat> Uh, he was a very was good a player. He was a great yeah. player at Iowa, great character person. I mean, one of the best guys in the world. Like you said, long, athletic. Um, he wasn't even supposed to get – I mean, he flew up the draft charts. If I recall, I don't even think he got a combine invite. I don't what, think, I don't what think round he was did. Drafted? And he was in the third round. He was our sixty-sixth pick. Yeah. He was the, se- the uh, second pick of the third round or the third pick of the third round. Something like that. Yeah. He was I mean, He was big time. So I mean, he was top 100. Oh yeah. yeah, he was yeah, a top yeah. 100 That's corner. Crazy. He was the sixth or seventh corner drafted. Uh, we actually had his buddy Amari Spave um, the the year after. He was also a corner out of Iowa. Played for the Lions. Okay. Spivey. Yep. Everyone called him Spivey. Yeah. Um, and he came out and he was the 66 pick in the draft. We were great at getting the 66 wow. pick in the draft. I think we had Spave. We had Johnny Patrick out of Louisville. He okay. was also a cornerback around that same time. Yeah. Um, so you went to Stanford, though. I did, man. I got to. I got to. So live, wait a second. Is he dream. is he like the smart football guy? What, what is that when you go He's to a Stanford? Smart guy. What, what does that mean? <laughs> Which is why you guys are partners. Right. That's the only reason I brought him on. I saw <laughs> I, I, I saw Pac-12 education, man. I went to Arizona, so I had the premium education here. <laughs> I can't even say that. I'm He's just looking face. at you like, all right, brother. All I can't right. say that I want the straight face. <laughs> You had you had a, a very good education when it came to the females running around campus. That kind that's of that's what it's about. That's for sure. Yeah. See, Stanford didn't have that. So, was Harbaugh your coach? Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh was my coach my freshman year. So okay. that was when I got recruited. Decided to go there. The next three years was David Shaw. But I mean, like I was telling you earlier, I mean, I hit Stanford at the most opportune time possible because they were winning. Was Prince Nakamura there? Uh, what's his name? Nakamura. Prince, Prince Amakamura. Amakamura. Wasn't wasn't he a no, corner? He went to Nebraska. Nebraska. Oh, he was, he was in Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. yeah, it was the red colors that was. Yeah, yeah. Me we out. did have a guy who played here with the Browns for a while. His name was Johnson Batamosi. He was a big yep. like special teams. Great special teams. Special teams. Guy. He was a Pro Bowler. Uh, yeah, played I mean, he, for the Lions after the Browns. Really, he's real I don't even made, remember him. Made star. his career in the league. I think he's like on year nine now uh, on special teams, and so he he played here. But he was one of our corners. Richard Sherman was a corner. Uh, my freshman course, year, yep. Andrew Luck, yep. uh, David DeCastro, Zach Ertz. Um, was Ron Marisic on one of those teams, too? Yeah, he was. <laughs> he know, was so know, good in college. He was like I know Owen Marisic has a bad rap. He was Kuiper's favorite in, player coming to the here draft. Here in Cleveland. Mel Kuiper's, was he? Here in Cleveland. But that dude, you want to talk about brilliant mind? Because he, 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 uh, he played two uh, ways. He's in a med school now. Or he's out of med school. And That's incredible. Played two ways. Sports Illustrated did an article on him. The cover of Sports Illustrated was like the best college football player in the land, and it was like quoted by John uh, by Jim Harbaugh saying, "Hey, this is the this is the prototypical." And we played Notre Dame that year. He scored two touchdowns in thirteen seconds. He really. He, he was a starting linebacker. He was also the starting fullback. I mean, I remember the Browns played him at fullback, and when I mean, honest to God, I mean, I remember a lot of player people saying he should have been a linebacker. 
And, you know, he came to the Browns, and it was, again, that was under Pat Shermer. The, the Browns were a mess. Yes. You know, that yes. was when we went through um, quarterback. We had Colt McCoy that year. Uh, Br- you know, I think, I don't know, it was a combo. Brandon Whedon, Jason Campbell, whatever it was. Those were McCoy came mm. in his first three starts his rookie year. And I think won them all. You know, they came in. Whedon beat, was like a 30-year-old rookie. Yeah, he beat the Patriots, though. He beat the Saints. I mean, like, he came in there. I mean, he lit he lit it up his first few weeks. They weren't passing the ball much, but right. the Browns special teams and defense were crushing yeah. it. Yeah. I'll never forget that, but that was the team. You're like the Browns' almanac, Zach. I, I know. You probably no, literally know he is. My, every single my, thing. My nickname in college in the athletic department at Arizona in the, in the equipment room was I was Google. You know, this you are, is, yeah, this you're is before, like the guy. You're the you know, analytics guy. There, there were no smartphones in 06. You know, we had Blackberries that barely worked. I was just talking about that with my girlfriend the other night. You couldn't even look up anything yeah. if you tried. But they had a great typer. You know, oh. you could type a, a oh. damn good text message yeah, on those Yeah, things. it was BBM, you know. BBM was that it. was That was college. Yes, it was. So let me ask you, since you are the guy when it comes to the Brown stuff, what is your take on the team this year, and, and how do you think they're going to do? I love the team this year. They just need to learn how to close out a game. You know, they have these lapses towards the, you know, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. They did it in Kansas City. They did it yesterday. I mean, granted, the refing, you know, the refereeing was terrible yesterday, which cost them the game. But, again, you still had a minute and 30 to go punch the ball downfield at the end of the game, at, you know, down by five. You know, Beckham was wide open at the 35-yard line downfield. Baker didn't even see him. And, you know, you go there and, okay, I would have put the Browns in real close with, you know, 45 seconds left in the game and just completely missed him. Didn't right. even see him. Didn't throw his way. And he missed him the week before to close out the and, game, even and, though he won the game. No, and, that, and that, well, that's the problem, too. The Browns need to learn how to close out close games. Once they do and they get there, they're going to be great. You know, they're, they're on the verge of greatness. Right now, I think... Great coaching as, staff. If it stood right now, they're they're probably... You know, I think the Bills are the best team in the AFC. I think the Chargers are up there, but I don't think the Chargers are any better than the Browns, to be honest. Kansas City? With the way they're playing right now, their defense is the worst defense of all time, according to DVOA right now. So really? 7.1 yards per play they're giving up. The Almanac, I love that. You so, know more than just the Browns. This You're is, like an NFL. I, I mean, I follow the NFL very closely. I, I watch as much as I can. I mean, I'm glued to the TV when the Browns are, and I'm glued to the game when I'm there. So where do you um, think they finish this year? What's the? What's your I, I think the Browns, I, I think they've got a very good shot to win the division. It all depends on their health. Um, but they should be 12-5 and five or 13-4. and four. Twelve um, and five, worst case, you think? I, no, I think eleven and six, worst 11 case. Six? They should be twelve yeah. and five. You know, they they still face Baltimore twice. That's not easy. You know, they got to beat Arizona this weekend. Our whole division's decent. That, Everyone. That's the you thing. Know? Pittsburgh's like, not Cincinnati's great. Cincinnati's pretty good. Pittsburgh's too, not good, but they're still going to win seven games. And, Pitts, and Cincinnati could play with almost anybody. Their I mean, offense they showed is tough. Up Green Bay. Joe Burrow is. Burrow could play. I'm a true believer in Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase. As long as he stays healthy. Right. I know, you know he got hit in the throat this past game. We had to go to the hospital. I just read what if, he's fine. What have like, you ever seen two throat contusions in a week, let alone a season? Hey. Is this you the know, second well, one? Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa had one for the Browns. It was, oh, was taken oh, to the emergency oh, oh. room after the game. That kid's good, too, man. Oh, he's in the backfield every play. He lights it up. I mean, he's a rookie. Third rounder? The second. Second the fact, I mean, he was he was a top 15 on just about everybody's board, started to slide. The Browns traded back up for him in the second round. He's good. He's I mean, tough. You, it, it, it's amazing to me that he wasn't a top ten pick, but they said it was a health issue, which is the only thing that makes sense because I mean the guy is he's gonna be up there for defensive rookie of the year. I mean Greg Newsom's having a fantastic year too. Yeah. Yeah. But not the last two games, but he's been great. So back at speaking of this football stuff, what you were in the league for a few years, right? Mm-hmm. Which is about the normal length for most players. Three and out, three years and done, pretty much. NFL, not for long. So why is it so hard for a guy to have longevity in the league, what is it? Uh, man, 
I think it's, a, I think it's case by case. I think a lot of it is, um, you know, I think the greatest ability in the NFL is availability and being able to stay healthy. Like the, the reason I, I ended up kind of finishing my career in 2017 was I tore my knee up in, in training camp at the wrong time. Timing is everything. Um, at the wrong time. Did it at the start of training camp. Didn't really get any looks afterwards. Couldn't do any preseason games. And everything in the NFL is about what have you done lately, not what have you done right. over the span. And so Short this, memories, I'll tell you that. Oh, at everyone. From yeah. Front office, GMs, they are, everyone has scouts. Everyone has short memories. It's about what have you done lately. Um, well, look at a guy like, real quick, not to interrupt you, but a guy like Sean Alexander, who I remember, was the MVP of the league, the running back for the Seattle Monster. You remember monster season. The next season, rushing touchdown kick. He get and then the, the next homes. season he just fell up, fell apart. I think Where he went up with the Redskins and nobody gave a shit about him. No one. Did nobody gave a shit about him. Who's, who's the guy? Peyton Hillis was here. He was on the cover of Madden. Had his one year of fame, and then fell off. And then like, was replaced by was it Ruben Drones the next year? Like oh jeez. I mean that that was the thing is the Browns had all these one year wonders at running back, and that's that's what's so crazy about the NFL. You see a guy one year. You know, fifteen hundred yards, sixteen hundred yards, then out of the league the next year. I mean, look at Chris Johnson for example in Tennessee. Guy had two thousand yards. They Running couldn't backs. Gain, couldn't gain three yards of carry the next. The well, rest of his remember career. Larry Johnson for the Chiefs? Yeah, he had some monster couple monster. seasons, and then he was yeah, gone. He and then he was yeah. gone. That was when Trent Green was the quarterback over there in KC. He was right there yeah, after was, he was drafted when they had Priest Holmes. They spent a first rounder on. Yes, him. he was. He was on the bench for a couple years behind Priest. When Priest was still the best running, it was between Priest Holmes I and Trent about Priest, yeah, yeah. And then stuff. Larry Johnson came about, and that team, that Kansas City team that had Tony Gonzalez, that was a real fun, Dante Hall. Yes. They were a fun team That was watch. a good team. It really was. That was a good team. That really offense, they, they had a bully of an offensive line. I mean, they had Will Shields. And they had some Hall of Famers on that team. Yeah, they did. But I think availability is key. Injuries, because it's, I mean, it's a physical game. It is, yeah. It's the injury, gonna, you're I mean, that could be it. It could be it. One injury could be it. One, I mean, that's why, I mean, you said it, but, like, legitimately, the, the statistics show that the average lifespan of NFL player is under two years now. Mm. So if you make it over two. So is it just a lack of consistency? Because you say, what have you done for me lately? What makes a guy be able to shine for a, a year or two, but then you just can't. Opportunities. Uh, it's opportunities. Opportunities as well. So I think. In the end, you see in the league where, you know, obviously the higher you're drafted when you're younger, the more, the longer the leash you have. Mm-hmm. The more opportunities you're given, you mess them up, you you excel in it. They're always going to look at what you potentially couldn't do, could do for them, in the sense of like create plays and create havoc. Um, and if you're later drafted or free agent, your leash is way shorter. But if you can also still make a lot of plays, like Malcolm Butler for the for the Patriots, a uh, great example. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he went undrafted or the seventh round pick, makes that play in the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, next year he's a starter. Isn't that he's amazing? Really, yeah. He's really playing playing his ass off, and then the next year after that, oh well, what have you done lately? Well, he hasn't really done anything. Patriots let him go or trade him. Trade him? Didn't he go sign with the Titans or something? Titans, and then I don't know where he's at now. But like these are these, the these are the stories you That's hear. That's what I mean. It's these, just crazy. these are the stories you hear about guys all the time, and it's like, you know, I think also the one thing with the league now that they focus a lot on, uh, a lot more on potential than it is on, you know, actual, like playing ability. So like you could you could be a, an amazing football player, showcase that in college, but if you don't. If they think that oh well you're a great football player now, but what do you what's your what do they think you've peaked right like 
And then the guys that they think have a huge ceiling, they're willing to take chances on. If they think that, oh, your floor is a little bit higher than someone else's, but your ceiling is way lower than someone else's, they'll go with the higher ceiling guy. And, and so what are the things that they're analyzing? When you say they, you're talking about the coaches and whatever. Well, I'm saying mo- mostly, and that, yes, mostly it's a lot of scout, a lot of scouts, the front front office guys do a lot of that. What are they, when you say they, like this guy's got a higher ceiling, what do you think they're looking at? What are some of the things? Oh, and now it's, I, I call it like it's the, uh, I call them like combine junkies. So like, oh, uh, is this guy explosive? Well, how, how do you measure explosiveness? Well, you do it, you know, certain teams focus a lot on vertical jump, broad jump. What does your 40 look like? Other teams are way more, hey, okay, doesn't test well, but what is he like as an actual football player with shoulder pads and helmet on, and you look like between the between those white lines, 53 and a third, what do you look like on every snap? Mm. Those guys also have – it just depends on the team and the scouting department. The best example of that right now is Demetric Felton on the Browns. Felton fell to the seventh round because he tested terribly. Which is so out of cat, so out of characteristic for the Browns to even draft a guy like that. Was Felton the twenty number twenty five? Yeah, he tested that terribly. Guy's a, he's numbers a, he's were, a monster. Yeah, and that's the he's thing good. though. He was great. At, he was a stud at UCLA. Fell to the seventh round because he tested poorly. And you look at him now, and you're like, yeah. I mean, you've seen some of the you know the little screen passes oh, he's yeah. broken on his punt returns. He's our utility guy. I mean, he's, he's a little bit of got, everything. He's got yeah. potential to be a really good player. In this he league. is. He's already made some really nice plays. Those guys year. last. There's a spot for those utility guys in the league. But, Ed, would you say also another issue is too? You know, obviously this is something. You know, when you're fourth, fifth year in the league, you know your your minimum salary is much higher than it is as a rookie. You know, would you say that has a lot to do with it too? Because you know, obviously pension, everything you know that goes into it is higher than it would be. You know, when you're signing for a million of eight hundred, a minimum of eight hundred thousand dollars to a million, rather than signing at four hundred thousand. You know, you think that makes a, a difference in there? Yeah, I think definitely. The, it's funny to say because if you're thinking about 32 teams you're really talking about 31 billionaires plus the green bay packers organization who's all the fans shares, on shares yeah. right yeah, so right. okay so you have 31 billionaires and but there's a reason why billionaires stay billionaires and that's because they they watch every dollar so every dollar that they're spending there's only like one maybe one and a half percent of the league make 95 percent of the contracts of the money put dedicated in like on any given year's uh, salary cap. Mm-hmm. So you think about it. Okay, quarterback. If you if he's in his second contract, he's making at least 30, 35. I mean, what is Mahomes making this year? Forty five. It's uh, he's got a, what a ten year, four hundred and forty three yeah. million dollar so, guarantee. I mean, you, you start doing the numbers. And the game, cap's what a hundred and some million a 100 team. Some, yeah, hundred and twenty so million. Think or about something that like that per team. Think about that. And we've so got, got a, thir- a third of their cap is all in one guy. Gone. So you got fifty two guys to cover the other two thirds. Exactly. So it's, and but also, then guess what? Then you invest a, a shit ton of money in the guy who's protecting that quarterback. So your left tackle is getting sure. paid a lot. You're also investing a lot of money in the guy who's going to get that guy on the ground. So your defensive end is a high one of your highest paid players on the team. Got it's all about the market. But when it comes that's down, that's a great question. The, Zach. The that's such a good point. The Chiefs are the perfect example of that. I mean, look exactly where their money's placed. You've got Mahomes. You've got it in your tight end in Travis Kelsey. You've got it in Tyree Kill. You've got it in Taron Matthew at safety, and you've got it in. I mean, is there? Oh, what's the uh, Frank Clark? Chris, is it or is uh, it? Uh, no, is it, it's Chris Jones. Chris Jones. Chris Frank Jones. Clark's making a lot of money too. He is too, but Chris Jones but is the one that those, just got got ninety five. And that's your defensive. Chris end, Jones is from Kansas City. Yeah, that's yeah, your yeah, defensive yeah. end, DT, and your starting safety, your quarterback on defense, Taron Matthew, and then you've got three guys on offense. 
You know, and now they just went and paid the offensive line. They paid guys like Joe Thune a ton of money this year. Yeah, and they went and got Orlando Brown. So I mean, yep. you all of a sudden you're fitting, you're trying to fit other guys in, right? And so if I'm a if you're a, a six year vet and you know you're you're guaranteed if you make it to the first kickoff of the season, first off, your entire year sal- salary is guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so people play with that because that's why you see a lot of guys what they'll do is teams will, will specifically not sign a guy week one and sign him the next week yeah just because the moment they make it to week one that little clause yep is activated and that will go against the cap same with Richard Sherman Antonio Brown and Tampa. all the same it, right. it's a little bit on the players right it's a little bit on them in the sense of like hey if I don't have to play and I can take I don't have to put all that wear and tear on my body cool I'm all, I'm, I'm okay with that but a lot of it is organizations are thinking the same way. How can we? It's a business. How can we play? People. That's the one thing fans don't understand. This the is business such a good point, of football. The this business of football, right? And in, and it's huge. So like when you have a guy who's like that versus a first year rookie who is making I don't know what the rookie salary is nowadays. It go it goes up every year. It's I think probably it about four hundred like plus or minus. Four hundred, five hundred, maybe for a first year guy. For first year guy, yeah. I mean, four something probably. Yeah, so I mean, and that guy has multiple years of oh, I can I can throw him down on practice squad if I need to for a week, pay him fraction of what his his weekly salary is, right? Bring him back up when I need him, push him back down. You can do that with those guys. The practice squad, what's well, practice squad? The guys practice squad makes what for the so year? Like so sixty or ten a week. So now it, it's like it depends. It depends. It used, used to be to ten be. a week, but you can now pay guys more and. You can now also protect three players per week on your practice squad. You didn't yeah. used to be able to do that. Oh, really? When I was in the business, that, that was not the way it was. They changed it last year during COVID that you can now protect three players every week. They did it last year, so a lot of teams would put a quarterback in their practice squad after the whole Broncos debacle last year where they had four quarterbacks in their quarterback room and had to play uh, a wide receiver, a quarterback for a game. Was it against Pittsburgh? I don't, I don't. My, my first ever client was Larry Grant. We were talking about this before the podcast. Okay. Out, of, yeah. out of Ohio State, yep. linebacker, seventh round pick, got drafted by the Niners, and then he got pulled over to the Rams and signed up to the Rams practice squad. Stayed in St. and played St. Louis for a while. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's one of those things. But, where, but you couldn't protect those guys back then. Yeah, no. back then you couldn't. Now you can only you can protect three every week. So the I mean I just realized the Browns had Nick Mullins on their practice squad, the quarterback. Yeah, I didn't even realize they had him on the practice. squad. Where did squad. he go to school? That's a familiar was name. He Iowa. Okay, I think Iowa, but he he was just with the. He was Philly? with the Niners. He was oh, with the oh, Niners. Niners. Yeah, he played yeah, with. Yeah. He started with the Niners when Garoppolo was out. All the, the all that. Let time. me ask you something crazy. I want to get back to this business talk on about the league real quick. But yeah. before, I was just watching the game last night on Kansas City game, and Josh Gordon was signed. He went to the freaking practice squad. How? Mm-hmm. So they changed that rule too. How? So now, after all these years in the league, now now you can sign vets. Now it's not to a practice, practice squad. It's not, not just first three year Because you know, anymore. once you were on practice squad for what was it, two or three years, two that was years. it. You done. lost eligibility. On it's done. Practice now squad. you can be a 10 year veteran and be on a practice squad in the NFL. Oh, my God. That's why That's Nick crazy. Mullins with the Browns. Nick Mullins has been in the league, what, seven years? I don't know, but I, don't, I know Baltimore Ravens wow. had. Baltimore Ravens at one point this year had, had Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell, on, Bell on practice squad. I think they had Devontae <laughs> Freeman <laughs> on crazy. practice squad. Uh, I mean, it's better for the players that way, I guess. Keeps you. I mean, it allows them to stay in the league. I mean, Ed, this is something that. You know, if this was available three, four years ago when you're still working. You no, know. I'd probably still be in. Really? See, yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It, it's just crazy, the business of football. I mean, I think, you know, obviously as, as awful as COVID was, it made some positive necessary changes in the league. Is that what for, caused these it expand, changes? It expanded the practice squad. It didn't expand game day rosters, but you still have your 46 active on game day out of 53, but it allowed you rather than carrying, you know, 
only a few guys in your practice squad did double the size of the practice squad last year because of COVID because so many people, you know, just on a given moment's notice the night before a game, now they're only tested one, you know, guys who've already been vaccinated, they're tested one time a week. You know, guys who haven't been vaccinated, like Cole Beasley, are, are tested, what, like every day? It's something crazy. Yeah. That's it, it, such a good point, though. The guys that are making seven, eight, nine hundred thousand, those those are guys. The difference between being a star, a pro bowler, you know this better than anybody, and the fifty third man on the team, it's not that huge of a gap. I mean, these you guys are all good. Like, think about this. So the guy that's making, you've got Mahomes eating up a third of your salary cap, a couple other guys eating up the other half. You know, you've got ten percent left but for again. all these group guys. So you're gonna you're gonna the guys that are in that middle range that are gonna be eating up a million dollars of salary cap, they're gone. They're but again, gone. it's a they're lot gone. about scheme fit too. I mean, you look at a guy, and this is a perfect example because Ed played with him. You look at a guy who excelled in New England and Jamie Collins, and then came to Cleveland. I mean, Ed, you played on the team with Collins, like he's a freak athlete, and then you know went back to the Patriots. The end, right? The, the no, br- linebacker. no linebacker. Okay, linebacker. Brown, the Browns cut him. Probably the freakiest linebacker I've ever played. Browns cut him. He back. went back to the Patriots, and then. Perform there again. He hits free agency, goes to the Lions. The Lions caught him after giving him a huge deal. Now he's back with New England for again for a third time. I mean, Ed can let. La- I didn't play with him. Ed did, but Ed can elaborate on this. A lot of it with these guys too is great coaching causes great scheme fits. Absolutely. And there's a lot of guys who only fit a scheme and they don't necessarily fit something else. I mean, what's funny is you look at the one in 15, 0 and 16 Browns from those two years, and you look at the talent on the defense that Ed played on. I mean, there were guys: Demario Davis, Jamie Collins, Emmanuel Ogba. I mean, Carl Nassib. I mean, the te- the, I mean there was a, the McCourty. I'm one of the McCourties. Yeah. You had Jason McCourty in there. I mean, there was a ton of talent on that team. Um, was Deshaun Gibson on that team, too? No. Um, okay, he was before that. He was before but that. The, I mean, there Danny, was a, Danny Shelton was there. Yeah, I mean, there was a ton of talent on that team. Joe I mean, Schobert was on the team. He didn't even play. That so. was the thing. Is, <laughs> he was Christian good, too, wasn't he? He was good. Christian Kirksey was one of our linebackers. I mean, there was too. a lot of freaking talent on yeah. that team. Yeah, Kirksey was good. I mean, there was a lot of talent on that team, and you even look at the offense. They cut guys like Taylor Gabriel, excelled in Chicago. I mean, it was funny. You looked at some of these guys. Raheem Mozart was on one of those teams. Yeah. You know, and got cut, and look what he did. He got San Francisco to a Super Bowl a couple I years ago. I just wonder when we're, we're thinking – I'm just thinking this out loud. I just wonder if the NFL rules when it comes to salary is having a negative impact overall on a lot of these guys having a, a longer career in the league because there's a lot of guys that are good enough to play in the league. Yeah. But if you're like – not good enough to get that big contract, yet you're better than a lot of the guys that are making four or five, the, the rookies and second, third year guys. But your minimum is now 800 or 900 or a million. They're going to go with the guy that's making it half that. Go, it usually goes that way. The only thing that saves some guys is, you know, it's about the relationships you have with inside different organizations. You know, like there are coaches and there are front office guys that will carry guys with them wherever they go. Great example of this Terrence Newman. Now, he was a first-round draft pick down in Dallas, but in his time in Dallas... Um, Went to Cincinnati, Zimmer, and then... Zimmer, yep. Zimmer was and his And then coach. Minnesota. Zimmer was his DB coach. Oh, and he just goes... So with, then, he guess takes what? Him Zimmer went to, to the Bengals, took him to took him to right. Cincy. He was there for many years, got two contracts. Went to Minnesota, took him to Minnesota as like a 40-year-old nickelback. Yeah. Then, when he decided to retire, offered him a job to coach. Was like, hey, you know what? Stay, stay here... So relationships matter even in Huge. football. I mean, you Huge. look at it. Go look at Brian Flores with the Dolphins. I mean, you look at. I mean, it's it's funny. Every single Patriots coach that's ever coached in the league, Bill O'Brien's been the most successful one with the Texans, which is crazy. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's not even close. It's Bill O'Brien was the most successful. Then Mangini, 
had one decent year with the Jets when they didn't make the playoffs with Brett Favre at quarterback. There's been no successful Patriot coach. But again, wow. talk about loyalty to your organization. You look at guys like Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, all those guys. Follow their coach around. Romeo Cornell had Willie McGinnis in Cleveland. You know, oh, yeah. all those former Patriots go with their former coaches. And well, the Patriots are notorious for taking Browns players and making them good again. The yeah. only the only <laughs> successful coaches from the Bill Belichick regime right. have been in college. It's been Nick Saban, who was a defensive coordinator for the Browns in '94, goes to That's know, goes to, believe, to Michigan actually. State, then LSU, then Miami, then Bama, and you've got Kirk Ferentz, who's been at Iowa for twenty some odd years now. You know, and Ferentz was uh, was Ferentz the was he the line coach here? In Cleveland, 94. That's crazy. What a team. What a coaching staff. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. Jeez. You know, it's funny. The 95 Browns, you know, getting back to it, circling about municipal, yes. the, 90, the, the, the 94 Browns went 11-5, and five, made the playoffs, beat the Pats in the in the wild card game, lost Pittsburgh in the divisional round. 95, they were a projected Super Bowl team. They were 3-1, and one, and then Modell the next week announced the move to Baltimore. Browns went 4-12, and 12, finished the season. Mm. It, it's amazing, you know. People don't realize how important front office is in the NFL. It's almost the I most mean, important thing. Look how stable Baltimore's been since Ozzie Newsom was there. Like Pittsburgh's Savage, always good. Guys. New England's always good. You know what I it's mean? Always, it's, it's, it's about stability in, in those areas. It's also about having ownership that know that know what their role is, right? Mm-hmm. Like don't don't try to be the uh, don't try to be the football person and have day to day operations. Like the Haslam's were their first seven years in the league. Yeah, I think it's a perfect example. You, I mean, they were the owners when you played for the team. I mean, did they meddle in everyday business? I mean, I wasn't in the locker room. I mean, Jimmy, I Jimmy was there every day. I don't know. I can't. Jimmy was on the field every day, but I think that's because for a long time he was definitely modeling his his ownership after Jerry Jones. And I think in the past couple of years he's taken a step back. And this is just me looking from being an, an observer from the outside outside in. He's taking a step back and allowed the people who you've hired and you pay good salaries to, to be your GM and your head coach. Absolutely. And you let that marriage be work and just be the CEO of your team. Isn't that what you guys try to do in your business? I mean, in real estate, it's exactly that. You know, I started my company five years ago, started from scratch, you know, barely knowing the industry. My family's been in the real estate game for 70 plus years. My grandfather was a builder. Um... You know, and my uncle runs a family business nowadays. You know, we have tons of multifamily units. Everything that we we do, we manage ourselves. You know, and I'm not in that business. I wasn't offered a position in the family business. Okay. You know, I graduated college in the middle of the recession in 2010. Um, it wasn't an option for me, and I was working in the lighting business uh, for three years when I came back, two and a half years, and I just I wasn't happy anymore. I just wasn't happy. It wasn't that I disliked my job. I just wasn't happy. I didn't like working in manufacturing. I'd always wanted to be in real estate. It was always a dream of mine. And so I started doing work for someone, you know, in the zoning business. It didn't work out. They didn't pay me. So my dad said, why don't you start your own zoning company? I'll partner you up with an engineer. So, and that's when, you know, that's when I came about and I said, okay. And, you know, I partnered up with a retired engineer who seven, you know, 68 years old when we started our business. And now it's me and my buddy Ryan on the zoning end, and we've used it to find a lot of clients. And then about three years ago, about a year and a half, two years into the business, you know, I was going through a breakup with our minority partners. It wasn't a good situation at the time. And and I got a call from Conrad Geis from Geis Companies. Geis owns the nine. And Conrad goes, hey, I'm in construction sales now. Do you come across any construction opportunities? And we were friends from when he was in high school. I mean, 
So he, he approached me and said, okay. And I said, well, listen, why don't, why don't we try to get something going? I said, I come across opportunities all the time. I'm just in the due diligence business, but let's see. Conrad and I started you know, leveraging each other's relationships. I knew a lot of people, but again, I was a dinky little zoning provider. Nobody wanted to talk to me, but I knew a lot of people. You know, I've just always networked. That's just how I am. You see me all the time. I know everyone. Yes. But it was, again, I couldn't get the business. And then it was like, okay, having that guy's name behind me just is a partner and as a friend really helped. And I had the relationships and Conrad was able to piggy bank off of that. What is, and, real quick, real quick, Zach, what is, what is guys? companies so, do guys companies so they have they have five different companies so they're guys property management guys development guys construction you know guys hospitality group and then you know they have g dot interior design too so they have they're a soup to nuts full design build firm architecture engineering all, in all commercial correct yeah okay so and, and do they focus mostly on um they do multifamily, industrial commercial so they do everything oh they so, do okay so their big namesake project it was started it was founded by um by conrad's grandfather you know, back in the 60s, back in 67, it was mm -hmm. founded by his grandfather and then his dad and his uncle Fred, Greg and Fred, ran the business and, you know, they did the nine. Okay. Uh, I want to say 2013, they, you know, 2012, they bought the... Which is where you had a party, I remember, last year. Or was it a year or two ago on the A couple roof? years ago, A couple yeah. of years ago, yep. okay. Yep. And so, you know, so Conrad now is basically, you know, it's basically his baby now. He's over there, he's running the show, it seems like over there, his dad's still very involved. Okay. But, you know, Conrad is... But when you say run of the... You're talking about the nine or the... The nine, but just ice companies in general. It's him and his dad. Okay. It's him and his dad. Yeah. It's him and Greg. And, you know, Conrad and I are out there finding new deals all the time. And so during, um, you know, when Ed, a few years ago, I was having my shore parties a few years ago in the summertime. And this is right when stuff started to really materialize. Okay. We started meeting some clients. And I had a client that we were looking for a job in Tremont. And he calls me up. He goes, hey, I'm... You know, I was at the Taste of Tremont. I met this guy. I used to play for the Browns. Um, is it cool if him and his girlfriend come over to, to come over to your real estate party? I said, sure, more the merrier. I don't care. Bring him. So I meet Ed and his girlfriend, Olivia. I had already met Olivia plenty of times, but, you know, because of forward and everything. And I meet Ed at this party, and Ed's like, well, you know, kind of, you know, I'm not playing right now. I kind of just want to understand the real estate world. So he started shadowing me and Conrad. And then, you know, while Conrad and I had, you know, a lot of deals going on at the time. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit, you know, six months later. So what are you, at that time, what exactly are you doing for, uh, what's what's your role? What's the value add that you're bringing to the guys? So what I was doing situation. is I was finding opportunities, real estate development opportunities and construction opportunities. So Conrad and I said, how can we differentiate ourselves from another group? You know, we're not, Geist isn't just a construction company. How can we come in there? What we're going to do is take my clients who were doing zoning at the time and just environmental due diligence, uh, property condition assessments, phase one. So if you needed lead testing in your building, you know, just a, basically an inspection for commercial property. And that so, was what that was your prime focus was yeah. that type of stuff: due diligence, environmental yeah. inspection, kind of. Yeah, and that was my primary focus for the longest time. And that and would be for I'm just I don't know this. Let's well, just say let you're buying an apartment building tomorrow, a medical office building. Okay. We'd come in there, make sure that it was zoned properly, that there were enough parking spots. Uh, there's no it, no hidden seek uh, uh, yeah. things that are going to sneak up no, and bite you in the yeah, ass. Yeah, there's no things. basically asbestos buried behind right. the walls, or, or there's no liens on the property. Yeah, yeah that we're going to do shit. all your due diligence for you. That's what we do: environmental and zoning due diligence. Okay. And so while Ed was shadowing us and then everything shut down during COVID and Conrad and I, every project we had came to a halt, every single one, other than Rockefeller, which was still under the due diligence phase, but we kept having to extend and extend to close the deal because banks weren't lending. No, you couldn't find money anywhere. No bank would give you a thousand dollar loan. 
because nobody knew how anybody was going to repay it because of a pandemic. And this was what summer of 2020. This is summer. Uh, this is winter of 2020. Winter of 2020. Everything now. started to pick back up. I want to say around May 2020, June, June 20. So it shut down really from end of February all the way until middle of end of May. Okay. So, so right when the pandemic really hit yeah. is when everyone just went on hold. Yeah. Once people started going back to work, you know, the real estate industry shut down. You know, you said the economy in the tank, the stock market was in the tank for three months. Everything started to rebound really, really quickly. I think people, you know, once they started doing the, um, you know, pumping money back into the economy and offering up, you know, you, you know, whether it was, you know, the stimulus just to get the economy back up and running, pumping trillions back in, you know, okay, people are willing to invest, reinvest in the economy. You know, I mean, we saw shortages in the supply chain and everything. And, you We're know, still lumber, seeing them now. It's crazy. yeah, I know it's back it's again. Insane. And lumber prices went from being thirty four bucks a plank to being oh, eighty eight bucks all a time plank just at Metals Home Depot. Too. Yeah, it's, you'd go to Lowe's right. or Home Depot and you'd see the price of lumber's tripled, double, two and a half times, three times as much. So, assume you're building uh, an apartment complex at one hundred forty, hundred and fifty a square foot. <laughs> you know, a three, four story building. It's now at two fifty. You know, how are you going to recoup your costs? You know, and are you going to get that loan to value and so again, once everything. So what was everyone doing? That's a good example. Well, that was the thing. The market just took a halt. You know, I I had no, I had very little, I had very few sales for three and a half, four months. I mean, right. I thought it was going to go out of business. And, you know, I was talking to that every day, and you know, I mean, me and him and Conrad would be the only ones in the office. And then all of a sudden, you know, he looked at going back into coaching. And then all of a sudden, I said, "Listen, I need someone full time with me. If you want to come on, we'll be equal partners in our real estate development company." You're talking about at U and M now, okay? At, yeah. So. I, I said to him, I said, listen, I said, I need help on my end. I said, I can't do this alone. You've been shadowing us for almost a year now, you know, in and out. I said, you don't need to understand the business just yet. It took me a few years to really understand this. I said, you understand the point. You understand who our clients are. I need you managing relationships. That's where you stand right now. And as you get to it, you'll understand it. Just being on site, going through this, being in meetings, you'll start understanding exactly what we're doing. Now, Ed, who's more difficult to work with, Zach or Jim Harbaugh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I might be a pain no, in the ass. No, no, no. So, uh, Jim Harbaugh, man, that's uh, I'd probably pick him just because he's ultra. I've never met an, another individual as competitive as he is. Like to the point where, like, you meet him, and I'll never forget my first time ever being on campus at Stanford. I guess, uh, I guess I. Uh, I wrote down on something that was like, oh, this is my weight. I think I put it like 207 or 210. I think I put maybe 6'2", 6'2 And he legit walks up to me, shakes my hand. goes, oh, good handshake. And looks me up and down. You're not. You're not fucking 6'2". <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't lie to me. See, there ain't like a peanut butter and mayonnaise go, sandwich or I something I go, no, ridiculous. no, 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 coach. Like, yeah, I am. He goes, stand, stand up. So we're like standing back to back with all the other coaches in in the office, yeah. looking at us, and he had to win. He had to be right. And he I was had like, to be right. I was like, nah. Well, guess what? You're fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, and you know that goes back to the ego thing again. Right. He had to be right. He had to be right. Just like those coaches it's, had to be right when Fletcher was getting same. You know, it's, same. It's. I will say it's pretty amazing how quickly Ed was not a real estate major. You know how quickly he's picked up the business and how athletes well. and military. But again, that's I, the guys that are going to be most successful I, in this world. And Ed's got that military background. I mean, obviously your father was you know played yeah. eleven years in the league and has a military background as well. Yeah, my dad did. So you the, have that discipline. Yeah, oh, I, I, mean, I, I grew, I grew up in a military household. Like, did you? My yeah. dad. Uh, what branch was he in? Army. Okay. So he was a army reservist. He never really had plans to go 
to go pro in football. Just it's one of those situations. He got a phone call, came to a tryout, made yeah, the team. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> made the team, made a run. But he was gonna. So, but he spent his off, like his off seasons, where most guys, like even when I was in the league, first first couple three weeks in the off season, I'm hitting somewhere warm. Island. I'm going to be on an island on the beach chilling, sipping pina coladas. He was working his ass off. And he was going back to Fort, uh, to whatever Fort he Fort was. Campbell or whatever. Fort Knox or one of these. And, and, and do it in training army reservists. Oh, he was a wow. captain. So all of a sudden he was like, he was nonstop. So growing up, my whole thing was, or his, I should say his whole thing was, hey, you're going to be in the best shape. You can't teach that work ethic anyone. mentality. And I, I'll, that, man. I'll tell you this. The second, the second he met with Conrad and I, you know, I will tell you. You guys are. Yeah. Is Conrad's one of the best. Conrad's one of the like overall. He's one of the smartest individuals I've ever met when it comes to work. And like, Conrad's a young guy, right? Twenty four. Oh I mean, wow. Conrad's he's... Conrad's brilliant. I mean, he's actually brilliant. You know, going out, totally different person. Conrad going out. There's party Conrad and there's work Conrad. Conrad right. work Conrad's the most serious fucking person I've ever met in my life. The guy doesn't mess around at all. You know, it's if you speak out of line, it's just you know, sh- it's, shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's. It, he's like that and it's you know partying Conrad's a totally different total different vibe you know and you just gotta know him like that and that's the best part about Conrad is you know and Conrad went to the Citadel so he's got that military background too Okay. and you know the first thing and Conrad's the most skeptical person I've ever met of anybody we ever used to bring in and the first time Ed was in the office he just goes there's something about that guy I like him he goes just a good guy honest we need to work with him in some capacity we gotta find a way to bring him on and so when he was deciding about going back to work this back off this past off season back in the NFL, I was like, I can't afford to lose him because I can't afford to have to train someone else, and I'm not bringing someone else on who's an equal partner under any circumstance. You know, I, I'm not willing to give up as much as I can take in, you know, to fifty percent to to not have someone with experience. I'm not going to do that. I'll hire an assistant before I do that. Right. And so I, I don't want an assistant. I want to, I, I don't I don't like hiring employees. I don't want to have employees because when you have an employee, they leave. Partners don't leave. Partners are, you know, they're an owner of the company. They're sitting there and they have equal percentage. And that's how I've always been taught to do things. Mm-hmm. You promise someone something, you guarantee it to them. You make them an equal partner. It's that simple. Or you at least give them some piece of the pie. You know, and it's funny. It's we met this group of guys. Not going to mention any names here. Um you know, we're, we're working on some deals with them right now. And one time I couldn't go meet with them. And he goes, he steps right in and goes, I'll take care of it. I'm going to go meet with them. If I wouldn't have gone that night, there would be no relationship right now. Mm. You know, and, and all of a sudden, all these deals are starting to materialize with these guys. They're great guys. You know, potential for some really large deals with the, with them. This is commer- on the commercial. Yeah, this is on the yeah, multifamily, commercial, even more than, this is something big. We've got something, you know, huge in the line for a potential downtown project. Okay. I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking massive transformative project downtown. And that's always exciting. Ed the city have, could use that. Ed wouldn't have gone to the one meeting; it'd be over. There, there'd really? be no relationship. No, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, there's none, and it's just so it, the relationships again. It's really well, all about the relationship. The, the best always. part is too is I can sit there now. I feel comfortable enough and to not micromanage. If he's got another meeting to go to, he goes. Doesn't need to tell me. I don't care. You know, it's the same thing. I've gotten to that point. We used to go to every single meeting together. And now it's that we're getting so busy. He can handle his own. Sure, I can handle my own. We talk every day. We stay on the same page. There's certain meetings we go together. I mean, I'd still say the most important ones we're at together. But like I said, if it's the case now and he can't go and he's got something else to do, I'll handle it. What's an example upset. of an important meeting? Give a, give a little something. For, for example, you know, we've got a deal over on, we just closed a deal over with fellow, you know, former orthodontist, uh, lives in Orange, Richard Arnstein. Okay. Dr. Arnstein. So, 
you know, for example, I've been meeting with Richard lately. Ed's been studying for his insurance licensing exam um, so we can get into that game. You know, we've got a lot of clients who need it. So we've just been working with that in a joint partnership with a large company downtown. And so I've been working, we've been working on aggregating land in the uptown area close to the clinic. And we're working on our secondary sites now. We just broke around a 42-unit uh, apartment complex last week. We have plans for some much much larger buildings in the area. But, you know, it, it's when it's coming down walking neighborhoods, he's normally on every trip with me. He couldn't come the last couple times. And I said, fine, do what you got to do. Go to the office downtown. Go over to Rockefeller. Handle what you need to do. I'll take care of this. When I need you to start knocking on doors, you're going to start knocking on doors in the neighborhood. I'll start handling the other stuff, you know. Just keep him in the loop, and that's all. And he's sitting there dealing with our partners out in Chicago right now, which and it's funny is before he even worked with me, I took him to Chicago on one of our first trips. On our first trip together, I said, "Listen, I think it's a trip you should come on. You should meet these guys. If we're going to work together, let's see how everything plays out." I get a call back from our clients in Chicago, and our clients, you know, in Columbus too, who we went with, we went the guys from Shift Capital, and it was uh, Jeff Hireman who used to play for the Buckeyes, okay. played for the yeah, Broncos in the league for I don't know what five years. Something like that. Super Bowl champion. Yeah, and, mm. and NCAA championship, too. And he just started with Shift Capital. And you just see the relationships. I mean, it's people. It's about rela- yeah, people it's love, relationships. You know, people love dealing with the former athletes, current athletes. So when they hear, oh, you played in the league, it's, it's, yeah, it sets ta- off a different it's a vibe. Point. Yes. It sets off a different vibe. It opens up completely new relationships. And when you're dealing with large amounts of money, especially, too, you know, with clientele, you know, they go, sometimes you can't get these guys to bite an inch. And then all of a sudden they go, you're going to be the former Browns player. Okay, let's be for lunch. Really? You know, it's, it's funny. It, it's pretty funny That's sometimes. Really I tell him that all yeah, the he time. Does. He does tell me, though. He does. I'm not walking into stuff I don't know. He'd be like, hey, man, like, they want to meet because you're coming. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, look, That's, let's, let's. You know, we have it. a client right now. She, um, she's a financial advisor. And you're leveraging that. You're she leveraging ha- it. You have to. You have she, to. She represents a former, current Browns players. She is, I mean, like, we have a great relationship, but again, she calls in. If she wants to make sure that something's legitimate, she calls that. Mm. You know, she knows he has that. He's the former player. He's the Stanford graduate over there. He's right. the former player in the group. You know, she wants to bank his. She she loves, you know, banking off his opinion. And you guys are you guys complement each other really well yeah. too. There's no movement. different backgrounds with some know. of our clients. There's no movement without Ed there. I'll be honest. Like, sure, I know the real estate game just as well as anyone. I'm not Conrad. You know, Conrad's been in the game since he was seven years old. You know. You know, different so situation. Conrad knows it more from a construction sure. standpoint, from a land aggregation standpoint. Yeah, that's where my expertise come in. I know where neighborhoods are gentrifying. I, I, although I hate the word, but you know, I know which neighborhoods are developing. You know, which neighborhoods, especially we look to, since we're not doing single family homes, which we can repopulate and redensify. I love that term, which we're doing in Huff right now, north of the Cleveland Clinic. We look at areas where, we're, I mean, we're taking down abandoned homes or homes that these people have back property taxes on. And currently their home values are twenty five grand. We're offering them double to triple what their homes are worth, paying their property taxes, getting them out of debt. We did that in Tremont last year, being able to move them to nicer areas. You're moving them and then you're just distri- able to get and condos knocking, in Strongsville. And then you're knocking down and building up. Yeah. And they're able to get condos in Strongsville Interesting. with a mortgage. So it gives them thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in their pocket. Right. Their taxes are paid for. Everything's taken care of. You know, for a twenty five thousand dollar house that this person's born, they're offered a hundred grand plus their back property tax are taken. They just care hit the lottery, are you kidding me? Yeah. Come and, on. You know, I'll never forget two years ago when we were doing um we were aggregating the land over for where Trio's being developed right now, um, over in Tremont next to Porco's. This woman just comes comes out and hugs us. She goes, I can now send my grandbabies to Strongsville schools rather than you know, sending them to Cleveland Public How Schools. How rewarding is that when you get to see Amazing. that? 
see somebody tearing up in front of you. I mean, I walked in this woman's house. There were squirrels in the basement. The floorboards looked like they're... It looked like the ocean. I mean, I'm telling you, there were three-foot dips in the floorboards. It looked like waves going through. And it's it's very rewarding to see this in the area. We're not we're not these greedy developers coming in here trying to pull people out of their houses. I'll be honest when I say that. Like, we would never do that. That's not my intention. We don't have any idea to do that. You know, and that's why I hate the term gentrification. We're not looking to bring hipsters in here. We're looking right. to create an affordable place to live, workforce housing, which is fifty five thousand below with a lot of these communities or at least create a twenty percent component. Well, what's wrong with what you're doing? You're give, it's a win win situation well, for you guys and for the people that you're here, moving out. Here's the other issue with Cleveland. I mean, you look at you go to Huff mm. and you look at an area just north one block of the Cleveland Clinic and you go to this area and go, I couldn't tell you if I'm two miles from downtown Cleveland or I'm in the middle of central Ohio in the middle of Mansfield, which is crazy. I mean, you, you don't know where you are. And right. what's amazing is you could build a house there right now, being two miles from the epicenter of downtown Cleveland, being a less than a mile from the Cleveland Clinic. And, and you wouldn't even know it based upon the way the land is right now. Exactly. And so what we're trying to do is you go back and you look at old videos of Leak Park where the Indians used to play back in the 40s, you know, all the way from the 1800s to the 1940s till 1946. And you go over to that neighborhood, and it's an area that's very special to me because I love baseball. I love football. The Cleveland Rams used to play there. The Indians <laughs> used to play there, and the Negro League Cleveland Buckeyes used to play mm-hmm. there. So it's an area that's always been very special to me. I love the area. And you look around, it's just open fields around this beautiful stadium that they, they've totally restored, pumped in tens of millions of dollars to. And after watching that Field of Dreams game, you know, oh, between, between the White Sox and the Yankees earlier this year, you Sox, go, yeah. what's preventing Cleveland from doing this? What's preventing from having a game where Babe Ruth hit his 500th home run or where Cy Young opened up the ballpark? You know, I mean, there's so much history there. Yes. Guys like Bob Feller pitched in that park. Joe DiMaggio had the last game of his 56-game hitting streak Is that in right? that park. Yes. Wow. So it's one of, of, It's not just a football almanac, man. This is It's this one is of those impressive. parks that it's just like, okay, the history is here, and personally, like... And it's not being used... Yeah, it's like it's it's used for high school games periodically. Why can't the Indians play one to two games a year there? You know, I mean, you know, I saw what the tickets were going for a Field of Dreams twenty three hundred a pop for an eight ten thousand seat stadium. Mm -hmm. You're in the middle of Cleveland. You you go there and you you don't even have to face the Yankees. You go over there and face the Tigers for a game of the White Sox. Interdivision, a historic and a historic game. And you go as the Cleveland Spiders, or you dress up as a Negro League Cleveland Buckeyes for the game. Oh, my gosh. Or, you know, because the Indians, you know, don't even get me started with that one. But um, you go and do that, and, I mean, it's just the history is still there. You have throwback uniforms. Fans would be coming from all over the country. Oh, it would be wild. Like that. That's the, not just the Indian. ticket sales would be in, yeah. through the roof. And that's just not Indians and Tiger fans or Indians and White Sox fans. Those right. are... Those baseball are, fans. Just baseball just fans people in that, like, you know... You have very few stadiums that are still like... The Tiger Stadium is very similar to League Park in Detroit, where they've now built housing around the stadium. They've kind of really repurpose it nicely. But, I mean, you can't do that at Crosley Field in Cincinnati or Yankee Stadium in in New York or or any of these ones. I mean, or old Comiskey in Chicago. You can't do that right. with any of these old stadiums. Right. So there's nothing left. You know, you've got Fenway and Wrigley left are the two old stadiums in baseball. And you have shells of old stadiums, like I said, between League Park in Cleveland, Tiger Stadium in Detroit, 
And there's a lot of potential. Really, yeah. the, the city has so much potential. It does when it comes to so many things: sports, real estate, development, etc. Right? Yeah, and no, that's so, the one thing I've seen a lot since moving here. Because I, I kind of bring the the out of town view. To, Where are you to from? Which really from North Carolina? Okay. Uh, lived in Virginia. Lived in Florida. Lived in Philly. Lived in California. Right. I lived all over the place. Okay. Um, moved here in 2016. Been in and out, like I told you earlier. The COVID year was the first year I spent an entire calendar year here, but getting this to see the city just in the short time I've been here and see kind of like what downtown has done and changed and from the East Bank to um, stuff around Public Square to over on East 4th now to um, everything they're trying to do there, but then also see the potential it still has for, you know, he was showing me, Zach was showing me the, the plans that they have for uh, First Energy, like the what they're trying to do, the development stuff down uh, on the lakefront. On the lakefront. Oh, okay. Insane. Like, I'm well, sure it is. I haven't even. I mean, seen it's this, it's it's a stunning development down there. I mean, the Haslam's have control of that whole site down there, and it's funny right now. You've got Gilbert with the riverfront, and Dan just came out with this 30 year plan last. I don't know about three weeks ago, a month mm. ago, came out with this 30 year plan on the riverfront, which is Tower City all the way up to the East Bank of the Flats, with the Haslam's controlling that site north of the lakefront. You know, I mean, north of the stadium on the lakefront. Mm. And you always say to yourself, where's the stadium going to go? And people go, oh, they're going to keep that stadium forever. I go, that stadium doesn't stand a chance. Really? It's staying up unless they dome it widen the concourses. I tend to think if really? if I were a betting man, I would say that stadium is going up towards Lakeside in 15th. In the next, they'll make the announcement in the next five years. Because you still have access to the Muni lot. It's a bunch of old, torn down. You think that stadium is going to, what are they going to do with the stadium? eventually tear it down it's build get housing torn down. build office down there you need to repurpose your lakefront I mean you look at cities like Toronto Baltimore Pittsburgh on the river even uh, you know they've just really take advantage of their taking it in, in Chicago as well they've taken advantage of their waterfront Cleveland and we is, haven't done that Cleveland's quite yet. doing it with the east bank of the flats right. it's, it's we're getting we're, we're starting but you still have areas like the west bank of the flats which is overpriced right now the Scranton Peninsula you have south bank of the flats hmm. you have the river you have the lakefront and you also have east of 55th too I mean don't forget you have Burke Lakefront Airport which is a dead zone for I don't know four or five miles and then you get up to 55th and 72nd Street over there by MLK, and they just announced a massive plan over there. The Metro Parks said over the next. What, 10 what years. could that potentially do for the city? I mean, creating the next creating 10, green years. space, Huge. creating green space, create safer areas for people for kids to play in, uh, for people to you know people want to be in a city with green space. You go look at the West Coast, and you go look at Denver, Midwest city, not on a body of water, but Denver has so much green space. You look at Seattle, very very similar, Vancouver, Toronto. And you see all this green space in the water. I mean, I was even in Milwaukee a few years ago for a wedding. Yeah. Milwaukee's one of those cities. Cleveland is so much bigger than Milwaukee. But what has Milwaukee done? Even their lakefront is just a park. There's not that much development on the lakefront. It's just a beautiful park. There's no airport. I'm just talking trees, bike rentals, little ice cream trucks, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. They had a great time there. I mean, would I be there for more than a weekend? No, but it's a weekend spot you can travel to. Right. You go to Baltimore. Baltimore still has some... I mean, you still feel like you're in the wire walking four blocks... <laughs> Four blocks, you know, out of the way of where you should be. Three blocks out of the way, you feel like you're going to get shot. Right. But Baltimore and their inner harbors. The harbor's stunning. beautiful. Stunning. It's the most, one of the most beautiful places on the east co- in the country. You've got Under Armour down there, I and mean, you've got some beautiful buildings down there. Cleveland needs to stop letting its suburbs take over these large headquarters like Eaton for moving out to Beachwood, and keep them downtown. Progressive. You know, Mayor White nixed that deal back in the early 90s, late 80s. Progressive was set to build an 850 foot tower downtown 
the corner of East Ninth, down by the Rock Hall. You've been to Cincinnati? Yeah. The, the the foot traffic in Cincinnati compared to the foot traffic in downtown Cleveland, you'd feel like you were in New York City in Cincinnati compared to Cleveland. And that, that's the thing. It's Cincinnati pathetic. still has it's a crazy. Macy's. Cincinnati still has their Macy's downtown. They still have their their it's, Bloomingdale's or whatever they it's have. It's a still bustling have city. Right. Yeah. And that Cincinnati, though, also has a bunch of huge Fortune 500 companies that haven't relocated to the suburbs. Fair point. You know, the Cleveland metropolitan area, if you look at combined statistical area, Cleveland is still the same size as, roughly the same size as Denver and Seattle. You would never know it, judging by downtown, but according to the combined statistical area, which takes in, you know, the Cleveland area, Cleveland, Akron, Canton, that's not including Youngstown. You put Youngstown in there, we're huge. You know, but the Cleveland area still roughly has 4 million people in the combined statistical area, and, you know, we lack what other with these other large cities have, which is why I think this mayoral race is so key going on right now between There's Kevin debate tonight. and Justin Bibb. Mm-hmm. You know, I still haven't fully decided who I'm going to support yet. I kind of made up my mind. But like I said, I'm still open to anything. You could change my mind tomorrow with the right. snap of a finger. Right. Something changes. I'm not ultimately decided. You know, tomorrow if we were having the presidential election, you could sit there and say, okay, I'm voting this way. Right. You know, right. I'm not right. an undecided right. voter. With the mayoral race here, you have Kevin Kelly. It's going to be closer to what Frank Jackson's doing right now. It's more of one and the same. You know what you're getting. With Justin Bibb, he's promised a lot of great things. But Justin has no political experience. Which is the one thing that worries me is, you know, you had Dennis Kucinich, the Dennis post, you know, Dennis back in the day, you know, lost every major Fortune 500 company we had. You know, he was too progressive and Mayor White was arguably the second worst mayor of all time. Right. You know, and he's the one backing Bib, but Bib has some great ideas. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It's easier to change your mind quickly on a more... um a micro scale than macro, like a presidential totally agree. election. And totally this, agree. this is this is a little different. Let me ask you though, before we get this thing wrapped up, we talk about Haslam. You talk about him, how he came in and he put the right pieces in place. Now he sits back. He's the CEO of the company, but he lets his COO and his GM or whatever he calls them or and his head coach, he lets the guys that he put into place run the organization. How do you guys, what's the name of your company? So we have Comprehensive Zoning Service, and then we have a new development company, which That's we already have launched, but we're waiting to launch the website, so I don't right. know. So we won't get too much there. into the development. But yeah. But, but how do you get the Comprehensive Zoning Services? What's it Comprehensive Zoning Services. Services. How, how, do you, how do you get eventually to the Haslam level where you've got the infrastructure so I'm at the point, and let them run? I'm at the point now where I consider myself the president of the company. I have a COO, Ryan Licker. Ryan, um, I don't Ryan, I don't know if you know like Ryan's family. Ryan's brother played at Ohio State. Brother okay. Adam Licker. Are they from Orange? Yeah. I, I think I know Pike, some of them. Yeah, Sam yeah. Licker. Yeah, yeah. So, I remember, yes. so Ryan runs the zoning company now day to day. Okay. I mean, he has a complete complete hold. Ryan took over for Roger, I want to say almost two years ago, about just about two years ago. And Roger was your initial partner, yeah. the 68 Roger was my old. initial partner. Okay. Yep. The engineer. And, yep. And when he retired, Ryan, we did a gradual takeover and Ryan, I mean... Ryan's on the, Ryan graduated salad, Ryan graduated second in our class, salutatorian from our class, um, you know, from Orange in 06. I mean, he's brilliant. So you're just surrounding yourself with athletes. The answer is to your story. You're Ryan, surrounding Ryan's yourself not with the athletes. athletes. His brother is the athlete. <laughs> All right, whatever. But Ryan, I surround myself with smart people who I don't have to micromanage. Yes. And so it, I like know what I need. I know what I want. And if I share the same and vision. And driven people, right? And that's that, the thing. Yeah. If I share the same vision with someone, and that's my whole thing. And it took me, it takes me a long time to trust someone because I've dealt with crappy partners in the past people i've been screwed it's happened it happens to all of us if you're not careful so now i just properly vet everyone and with ryan i've got someone that's as loyal as can be he's 
he's the one of the he's the best partner on that end because our our zoning has become you know we're the best in the industry i know we are because i hear from our clients going we've used this company this company their services don't compare to yours you guys have the best customer service i've ever dealt with mm. and that's the thing is and i made sure when i when i started working with ed you send an email to ed ed replies in within five ten minutes or within the hour if he's busy right always gets to it and acknowledges the email reaches out to the customer calls me up the next day hey should i reach out today to this customer i noticed there hasn't been follow-up in the last couple days you know what go ahead and it's just it it's just that there's synergy there and you just know that there's a cohesive partnership that really works between us. And that's the thing. I, I just I don't want to have to micromanage someone. Ed is so good at what he does, you know, in the development game. And yeah. you know, he's getting there. Is he is he the expert yet? No. Do I consider myself the expert? No. But again, we have the right people to rely on, we have the right partners. I have certain brokers I can call up. I have guys like Conrad that I can call up and rely on them for the answer if I don't have it. We don't pretend to have the answer. If I don't know it, I'll defer to Ryan. If right. I don't know it, I'll defer to Ed on a question too. I don't pretend to know everything. I think I know a lot of stuff, but it doesn't mean I know everything and I know I don't. To you, Ed, uh, what do you you've you've gone you've been in sports, athletics, discipline your whole life. What have you learned in the last few years? What do you see in, in Zach and what makes him a great partner for you? I think uh, for me, I think what what worked out really nicely, like you said, being able to shadow them for the time that I did for the months uh, when I was kind of in, in transition, I was figuring out, okay, well, football looks like it's coming to an end. I even played in the uh, that spring league, the AAF. Uh, it went bankrupt after like seven weeks. Even got drafted to the XFL. Could have played in Houston with that with that league and, and kind of kept that dream alive. I got to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm. I want the show or I want nothing at all. I did it. I've been there. Um, I've started a lot of games, played in a lot of meaningful meaningful football. But if I can't get back there for whatever the reason might be, which I was, you know, for a long time, you play the mental game of like, well, why doesn't this team want to sign me? You know, what am, what am I doing wrong? What what skills am I not bringing for them to want to sign you were to too expensive. You were eight hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> we already figured that out today, right? And, and it was one of those things where it was like, all right, well, you know, what? Where can I take my skills? Um, and like you said, discipline, work ethic, routine, um, but also, I mean, I think the biggest asset that I bring to this partnership right now is my people skills and 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 my and my networking ability and being able to connect dots. Uh, find synergies between between individuals um, or companies and figure out okay well where where can we how can I make this puzzle fit where everything is mutually beneficial for everyone mm. um, and so I think really coming together with us is like we said like you said before like Zach knows a lot of people especially in this city but like I said I mean, we've been introduced to partners in Chicago um, met some people from New York Florida even. I mean, Florida even. That, that's, I think, Ed, you, you said it perfectly over here. We all play to our own strengths. You know, Ryan's strengths are on the back end of the company, handling the zoning, handling the due diligence. That's what he does best. Right. I have great people skills. I know what I'm doing on the real estate. And Ed has fantastic people skills as well. And that's what we need. We need someone that can help manage current relationships and also develop business. And that's exactly, you know, I had been searching for that for three years. And it wasn't until Ed came along where he has it, you know, and like I said, we have that with Conrad. I want to get down to numbers. I want to get down to construction budget, development opportunities. Conrad comes into play right there. And that team with Geis. Got it. And that's where they're so damn good. Mm. 
And it's you guys so, just did a ceremony I saw on your Instagram. Yeah, we have the groundbreaking for ninety third and Chester, the forty two unit we're doing. We have a ton more planned over there. That was the one we had with Richard Arnstein. Okay. And like I said, it's the best part about Richard too is we've we've created a partnership with Richard, where Richard knows his strengths and knows his weaknesses, and Richard's strengths are his ability to find land, create relationships within that community with a councilman. He's so good at it. Mm-hmm. And we've all created such a strong partnership on this, and we all let each other handle what we're good at. So, again, I have my strengths. I have my weaknesses. We all have weaknesses, whether people want to admit them or not. And I think that's the most important thing in today's, you know, in, in today's work environment is if you're not willing to admit your weaknesses and what you're not good at and what you're not strong at, and people try to go above and beyond what, what their strengths are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest problem in today's world. You know, people try to do anything and everything. We're yes. not all Elon Musk. We're not all a Jeff Bezos. You know, <laughs> so all true. those guys yeah. have relied on strong. You, you look at Bill Gates with Microsoft. He had Steve Ballmer. You know, he had all those guys oh, working with him. Nobody's ever Paul been Allen. successful without the team. No, and that's the thing Come is, on. it's one person is not going to create a, a successful empire, and that's what we're looking Correct. to do. We're not looking to just to create. Hey, we're going to be a developer, and we're going to go out and develop two properties here and there. We want to create. A platform where we're going out there and we have an entire team where if we have two groundbreaking ceremonies on the same day Ed can handle one I can handle another we don't all need to be at everything and that's my point going the trust is there between all involved parties to know what each other's roles are in the company I think that we have that now I know that we have that I don't think I know that we have that you know and again when Ed needs to be the serious one he can be the serious one with me this is probably the most serious you're ever going to see me no, you guys complement each other perfectly. You really do. I mean, it's a great it's a great marriage, for lack of a better word. You guys are a great team. You have great people around you. Like you said, you've got an extensive network here in Cleveland. Ed brings a little flavor to the team. You've got Ryan. You've got Geist Companies. You've got all these things. It's all. I mean, you've only been doing this is a short period. Yeah, of time, I mean, it's less man. than five years. I mean, five we, years. we're able to differentiate on. on every single level. You know, it's funny. You know, we're speaking at the real estate attorneys conference in November. I'm going to be out of town at a wedding, unfortunately, so I'm not going to be there. Ryan's getting up and speaking, and Ed's going to take my place at sure. the conference. And that's what a team does. And that's the best part is I, I've got to go to meeting. I've got I've got a wedding that weekend in D.C., but I'm handling meetings beforehand. And the funny and the great thing is, is I don't have to sit there and even train Ed anymore. Like right. I, Ed knows what he's doing. You're like, actually, it's going to go better without me doing the speech. Ed, <laughs> it's just, but he doesn't need to rely on my bullshit. You, you feel know? comfortable leaving and letting your guys yeah. do the thing. Yeah, and that's the best part about it is I don't have to sit there and say, hey, Ed, I need to train you to do this. You need to learn no, how to do this. No, of course. It's here's your set of business cards. Go out there, mingle with clients, give them a card. So here you go. Tell him you play for the Browns. Everything's good. Tell him you play for the Browns. <laughs> I, you know, we got to get him to sign 8 by 10 autographs there. Take a picture. That's right. That's right. A few yeah. photo ops. Listen, guys, this is awesome. Uh, I would love to bring you guys back on again, too, at some point in love the next year or two. Anytime. It could be in the next six months, whatever. Um, where should people find you online? What's the website? They can, they can go to czoningservices.com. And we'll link that in the show notes, yeah, too. Yeah, and they can go to my Instagram at zbarris87, Z-B-A-R-I-S-87. Uh, you will not find that anywhere on the internet. Good for stay you, up, man. Stay off the grid. You're the you're the healthiest human being alive. Right. If that's the case, <laughs> yeah, right? just, okay. just watch out. You right. know, you got to go down there. You got to go find in the you know the dark web to find his sex tapes. All that <laughs> kind of stuff. <laughs> his athlete sex tapes. Now, you guys, go you can only get that those tapes if you sign a contreact with, with this company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, there, the real at Reynolds.com. There you go. Oh, hey, man. boys, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Best of luck with everything. Thanks again, Appreciate Nate. It. Thanks. Thanks a lot.